Let's not forget that freedom is more powerful than fear. I hope you're right, Mr. President. Hope you're right. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radios, KPFK in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A. As heard up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove. 93 FM WLRI, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 88.5 K, uh, FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, on Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, Grateful Dread Public Radio in Nashville, and of course, Radio Sputnik five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us again today, tonight, whenever you happen to be tuning in. Donald Trump has called for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. That's a quote from the uh, Trump campaign just before we go to air here. Apparently not taking the message of, uh, of the president in his primetime Address to the nation on Sunday. We will get to all of that and more. A lot to cover today. Uh, but first, since I mentioned uh, Grateful Dread Public Radio, I just want to give them an official welcome. Howdy do uh, here to the broadcast. They've been actually running us uh, for a while, I think. But I, it's been so busy over the past week, I haven't been able to uh, to say, hey, welcome, peoples of Nashville. Hey, welcome, peoples of Nashville. Well done. That is Desi Doyen, <laughs> our uh, producer, and, uh, of course, my co-host on the Green News Report. Uh, Grateful Dread Public Radio. They, uh, they started in Baltimore in 96. They are now in Music City, as they like to say. Internet Public Radio for a Better World, serving progressive Nashville and help, helping to turn Tennessee purple. Well, good luck with that. Actually, it already is purple in Tennessee. It's, it's blue, certainly in Nashville. Uh, it, it's blue. But they need uh, some help down there, I think, uh, to get everyone to vote and make that a reality again, as it once was not too long ago in Nashville, in Tennessee. But they got a, real, a lot of really good liars, by the way, in, in Davidson County, which is Nashville. I was there. I was at one of their election board meetings some years ago uh, at the time that the Democrats ran it. Uh, they don't anymore, but they they at least supposedly ran it. The Democrats were in the majority at this election board meeting, but the Republicans there, in truth, they were in total control of the thing. Total control. And one of them told me afterwards, and I'm damn near direct quoting here, uh, said, Brad, paper ballots are the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on America. That's what they thought in uh, at least the Republicans thought in Tennessee where they uh, force where they hate their voters so much. They force most of them to vote on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen systems. 
across much of the state. Uh, the, the state had actually the state legislature had actually voted to move to paper ballots some years ago. But but in 2008, it turned out that Tennessee was the only state in the union that actually went more Republican than Democratic that year. The rest of the country went deep blue, if you will, for Obama and Democrats. But Tennessee went the other way, allowing the Republican majority in the state legislature uh, to take over the majority in 2008, at least reportedly, at least according to the 100 percent unverifiable election results published by Tennessee just after they had voted to move to paper ballots. So uh, since then, they actually defunded the plan to move to paper ballots. They added a discriminatory photo ID voting restriction in Tennessee uh, and uh, frankly, they haven't gotten much help from the federal government to fight against all of that. So thanks, Obama. So we're very happy, very happy to be on board in uh, in Nashville now uh, with the GDPR Grateful Dread Public Radio. You can check them out at uh, GDPRNashville.org. And my thanks to uh, station manager Natalie Davis out there and all of the fine folks who support GDPR and their mission, as we do here on the broadcast. As I said, uh, Donald Trump now calling for a uh, uh, all Muslims to be shut out of the U.S. Oh, that'll go great. That'll work out well. That won't make things worse here at all. You know, one of the stories that has gotten lost over the past week or two... <sighs> Man, there has been so much uh, horrific violence, gun violence in this country. Uh, Extremists of all stripes, Muslim, Christian, take your pick. On Thanksgiving Day, a 38-year-old Moroccan-American taxi driver spent his Thanksgiving in the hospital as an Islamophobic customer who had been ranting about ISIS shot him in the back with a rifle. When the driver, the uh, Moroccan-American, picked up the client near a casino on early Thanksgiving uh, morning, it was uh, seemed like just any other ride, according to uh, Ben Norton over at Salon. When he started driving, however, the customer began asking questions about the uh, driver's background. Quote, he started the conversation and began to ask questions like, you seem to be like a Pakistani guy. Are you from Pakistan? The driver from his hospital bed told reporters from the local newspaper there, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And I said, no, I'm from Morocco, but I'm an American guy. The customer then began to talk about ISIS and its crimes, and the driver made clear that he opposes ISIS, recounting, uh, the driver said, I told him, actually, I'm against ISIS. I don't like them. I even told them that they are killing innocent people. Then the driver recalls, I noticed that he changed his tone and he began to satirize Muhammad, my prophet. When when they arrived at the destination, the client's destination, the man asked the driver to wait so he could go into the house, grab his wallet. A few minutes later, the Islamophobic man came out with a rifle and moved towards the taxi. Driver said, I noticed him coming towards me. I didn't hesitate. I made a fast decision to leave and drove my taxi away because I felt he was going to do something. There is danger. He would shoot me or something. I felt like he had the intention to kill me. As the driver sped away, the man shot towards his car. One of the bullets went through the back window, shattering the glass, hitting the driver in the back. And when the Post-Gazette reporter spoke to the uh, Moroccan-American man at the hospital, the bullet was still lodged between his shoulder blades. 
Driver spoke on the condition of anonymity as he fears for his safety, and I suspect for very good reason. In San Bernardino, at the shooting, uh, one of the uh, what they've been talking about, of course, ever since was this fight that the uh, one of the shooters, uh, the Muslim, the American Muslim uh, had with a co-worker. We still don't know the details of that fight. We don't know what happened, why he left and then came back. But one of the points that uh, I've seen since then and I haven't talked about because I've been waiting for more information to come out, but I don't know if it ever will at this point. Uh, one of the victims, uh, and I'm, I don't need to name him because uh, I'm not trying to victim blame here, but one of the victims, uh, his wife, said that my husband was very outspoken about ISIS and all these radicalized Muslims. And then that husband, who was killed in this uh, horrible massacre in San Bernardino, uh, looking back at this, uh, this man's Twitter feed, one of the things he said in late October this is a tweet. In 1939, Americans sent America sent Jews to perish in death camps. But today we accept Muslims. The FBI has stated are terrorists in all caps. The same guy uh, wrote just uh, three days later, Islam, the cult of rape, pedophilia, anti-Semitism and murder. This is one of the victims of the shooting in San Bernardino who worked with the shooter. Uh, just days before the shooting in San Bernardino, this guy tweeted, I have realized why Obama is importing so many unvetted, documented potential terrorists. If Obama had sons, they would be just like him. And again, these are all caps, unvetted, undocumented terrorists, all caps, just like them. Now, again, I'm not I wasn't even comfortable reading some of these tweets because I don't want to give you the idea that I am victim blaming here. I am not. But we don't know what happened in that uh, th that supposed uh, quarrel that the shooter had before leaving that Christmas party and coming back and killing this man who had been tweeting these things. Uh, clearly, this guy is a Donald Trump supporter. Clearly, uh, you know, th this kind of language about Muslims uh, has an effect. People hear it. People hear it. They repeat it. Uh, you know, I have some of these people in my own family, I'm embarrassed to say, who, who say this kind of stuff, who speak this kind of stuff. Did that come up? Was that part of the quarrel in San Bernardino? I don't know. But, you know, Donald Trump is not speaking in a vacuum. People are hearing him. On Sunday, as I said, in a rare Oval Office address, President Obama outlined the steps that his administration is taking to defeat the threat of terrorism abroad, including working with allies to conduct airstrikes. Don't know that that's going to defeat it. Providing training and equipment to local forces. Don't know that that's going to defeat it. And he said that the U.S. cannot get drawn into another ground war in the Middle East. Well, that's good news. He also urged Americans to not give in to fear or language that casts suspicion on all Muslims. And on this part, I'm 100% on board. Here's what else we cannot do. We cannot turn against one another by letting this fight be defined as a war between America and Islam. That, too, is what groups like ISIL want. ISIL does not speak for Islam. They are thugs and killers 
part of a cult of death. And they account for a tiny fraction of a more than a billion Muslims around the world, including millions of patriotic Muslim Americans who reject their hateful ideology. Moreover, the vast majority of terrorist victims around the world are Muslim. If we're to succeed in defeating terrorism, we must enlist Muslim communities as some of our strongest allies, rather than push them away through suspicion and hate. That does not mean denying the fact that an extremist ideology has spread within some Muslim communities. There's a real problem that Muslims must confront without excuse. Muslim leaders here and around the globe have to continue working with us to decisively and unequivocally reject the hateful ideology that groups like ISIL and Al-Qaeda promote, to speak out against not just acts of violence, but also those interpretations of Islam that are incompatible with the values of religious tolerance, mutual respect, and human dignity. But just as it is the responsibility of Muslims around the world to root out misguided ideas that lead to radicalization, it is the responsibility of all Americans, of every faith, to reject discrimination. It is our responsibility to reject religious tests on who we admit into this country. It's our responsibility to reject proposals that Muslim Americans should somehow be treated differently. Because when we travel down that road, we lose. That kind of divisiveness, that betrayal of our values, plays into the hands of groups like ISIL. Muslim Americans are our friends and our neighbors, our co-workers, our sports heroes. And yes, they are our men and women in uniform who are willing to die in defense of our country. We have to remember that. My fellow Americans, I am confident we will succeed in this mission because we are on the right side of history. We were founded upon a belief in human dignity that no matter who you are or where you come from or what you look like or what religion you practice, you are equal in the eyes of God and equal in the eyes of the law. Even in this political season, even as we properly debate what steps I and future presidents must take to keep our country safe, let's make sure we never forget what makes us exceptional. Let's not forget that freedom is more powerful than fear that we have always met challenges, whether war or depression, natural disasters or terrorist attacks, by coming together around our common ideals as one nation and one people. So long as we stay true to that tradition, I have no doubt that America will prevail. That was an optimistic President Obama speaking from the Oval Office on Sunday in a primetime address saying that just as it is the responsibility of Muslims around the world to root out misguided ideas that lead to radicalization, it is the responsibility of all Americans of every faith to reject discrimination, our responsibility to reject religious tests on who we admit into this country. Well, Donald Trump is now calling for a religious test on who we admit into this country. Donald Trump right now... Uh, is leading in all of the national polls by huge numbers. And those numbers are getting larger to become the uh, Republican nominee for President of the United States. When President Obama says, I am confident we will succeed in this mission, um, well, he's a hell of a lot more confident than I am at this point.
but words matter. We're going to take a quick break and we will come back with more of what the president had to say and a specific look at his comments on guns in this nation and the nexus between terrorism and more and more guns. We'll be speaking with my friend Cliff Schechter about all of that and much more today. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here with you. Uh, You know, since the uh, shooting out here, the massacre out here last week in San Bernardino, a lot of attention has appropriately gone to to that tragedy. But uh, as usually happens in this case, that means we overlook other stories. Amongst those stories we overlooked was uh, the day after Thanksgiving, frankly, when the nation was gripped. Uh, by what was going on in uh, in Colorado Springs uh, as a as a Christian extremist, a radical Christian, I'll just put it that way for Fox News, a radical Christian terrorist, shot up the uh, the Planned Parenthood there in in Colorado Springs, killing three, injuring nine, and that story has sort of disappeared. But on the same day as the Planned Parenthood shooting, as much as that story has disappeared. On that very same day in Mississippi, an enraged Waffle House customer shot and killed a waitress because she asked him not to smoke. Police said Johnny Mount was eating about 1 a.m. at the restaurant in Biloxi, Mississippi, when he lit a cigarette, according to WLOX-TV. The waitress asked the 45-year-old man to put out the cigarette or smoke outside. He began arguing with her. He then pulled out a 9mm handgun that he had concealed under his shirt and shot the 52-year-old waitress in the head. She died from her wounds. Uh, The man was arrested as he tried to leave the restaurant. He's been charged with first-degree murder. Uh, But this sort of thing happens all the time. That's a horrific story. But most people didn't even hear about it. Uh, The Planned Parenthood story was obviously horrible. But we haven't even been talking about that since what happened in San Bernardino. It's one after another after another. And it seems like, you know, we can't keep up. Over the weekend, the New York Times uh, editorial board took the very unusual, um, very unusual. They haven't done this since 1920. uh, Unusual move of running an editorial on the front page of the paper. They haven't done this in uh, almost 100 years. They write uh, in their editorial called End the Gun Epidemic in America that it is a moral outrage and national disgrace that civilians can legally purchase weapons designed to kill people with brutal speed and efficiency. They say that uh, motives do not matter to the dead in California. 
nor do they uh, matter in Colorado, in Oregon, South Carolina, Virginia, Connecticut, and far too many other places they might have added, like Mississippi at the Waffle House. The attention and anger of Americans should also be directed at the elected leaders whose job it is to keep us safe, but who place a higher premium on the money and political power of an industry dedicated to profiting from the unfettered spread of ever more powerful firearms. The New York Times goes on to say that these are weapons of war, barely modified, deliberately marketed as tools of macho vigilantism and even insurrection. America's leaders, elected leaders, offer prayers for gun victims and then callously and without fear of consequence reject the most basic restriction on weapons of mass killing, as they did on Thursday. They distract us with arguments about the word terrorism. Let's be clear, they write, these spree killings are all, in their own ways, acts of terrorism. Well, finally, it seems, and I'll take this element of this, these horrific stories as good news. Finally, it seems the mainstream corporate media is tying together gun safety issues with terrorism. This is something the right for years has, you know, they're talking about terrorism as if it had nothing to do with guns. That is as if it had nothing to do with the hundreds, thousands, thousands, tens of thousands of gun deaths we've had in this country. Thanks to the use of guns, which far outpace the deaths in this nation uh, due to uh, Muslim extremism. Nonetheless, uh, on Sunday in his primetime address to the nation, the president uh, also tied these issues together, and I was very, very happy to hear it, especially after all of these years that I've been calling the NRA, the uh, terrorist-supporting NRA, for their uh, millions spent to make sure that, frankly, terrorists, or at least people on the terrorist watch list, can continue to buy all the weapons they need. Here's the president on Sunday. Congress should act to make sure no one on a no-fly list is able to buy a gun. What could possibly be the argument for allowing a terrorist suspect to buy a semi-automatic weapon? This is a matter of national security. We also need to make it harder for people to buy powerful assault weapons, like the ones that were used in San Bernardino. I know there are some who reject any gun safety measures, but the fact is that our intelligence and law enforcement agencies, no matter how effective they are, cannot identify every would-be mass shooter whether that individual is motivated by ISIL or some other hateful ideology. What we can do, and must do, is make it harder for them to kill. Make it harder for them to kill? What a tyrant! Gun grabber. Uh, joining us here to talk about all of this is our old friend Cliff Schechter. He's the founder and CEO of Majority Ohio and Majority Ohio Action Fund. Uh, an organization dedicated to protecting women's rights, passing sane gun safety laws. Oh, great. He's a tyrannical gun grabber, too. And uh, promoting uh, protecting conservation in Ohio. Cliff is also the founder and president of the PR firm Libertas LLC. He's a columnist for The Daily Beast and the author of the 2008 bestseller, The Real McCain. Oh, Cliff Schechter, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. Do you have a gun I can grab? Uh, none of your beeswax. Okay. C- come on over. Come on over and find out. Why don't you? I'm scared. You might stand your ground. I might. Uh, you know, actually, it's great to have you here, Cliff, because 
Uh, you know, I'm I'm usually the quote unquote gun grabber in these conversations, just talking about reasonable gun safety laws, gun safety measures, even measures that the vast majority, vast majority of NRA members support, if not their uh, leadership. Just talking about that makes you a gun grabber. Uh, in, in some of these people's eyes, uh, let me get so so. Let me get your thoughts. So I'm going to be the uh, the right winger, I guess, in this conversation, Cliff. Awesome. But let me get your thoughts uh, on on Obama's remarks last night, uh, tying gun safety measures to uh, to terrorism. Will will those remarks make any difference at this point, uh, or, or are we beyond that at this point in this country, Cliff? Well, I'm not convinced those remarks will make any difference, but they were very much correct. Um, Look, I mean, any law enforcement problem, if which guns are, uh, quite frankly, and any public health problem, mm-hmm. you could compare this to drunk driving, you can compare it to, to cigarette smoking and a variety of things, require a number of different measures. You need to get at it from all sides. There's no one thing that solves it. Um, we're not even really trying uh, because we just have, you said about how the NRA leadership is not representative of, of mm-hmm. the people. It's also the lead, it's also what you could call, I guess, the Republican Party leadership. Their, their elected officials are so um, out of whack, you know, with where most people are that it does make you start wondering if this, this democracy thing of ours works anymore. Well, because not um, just not just people we're out of step with people are, but out of step even with their own with Republicans. The yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I should be clear, exactly. It's not really just people, and certainly not just Democrats. It's overwhelmingly independents, mm-hmm. it's overwhelmingly Republicans. It's overwhelmingly gun owners. It's people who have experience with guns. Again, I, I feel like I have to say this on all these shows, and, I, you know, not, that's nothing against you. It's just I know where the other side comes from. But, you know, I spent five years shooting competitively on a rifle squad up in New Hampshire. I know how to handle a gun. I've been around guns. It's one of the things that made me realize how dangerous they are. And so this isn't about sport shooting, the culture cultural history of that in this country, or even hunting, which is something that I'm not a fan of, but is also uh, a cultural sort of a history of this country. It's a, a very different culture that sadly goes back in our history, too. It's the culture that birthed the, the, you know, the Confederate rebellion. It's about the culture that birthed segregation. It's about people who have such a, a distrust of the government of the United States, and about people who um, are are so paranoid and generally are, are racist, are xenophobic, and everything else that goes with with that, that they are, are not, they don't live in the realm of reality where the rest of us live, where we have to balance the rights of, of people that want to own guns versus the rights that the rest of us are guaranteed in numerous different parts of our Constitution to live and enjoy that life. From the, from the very preamble where, where it talks about the general welfare and domestic tranquility, which is the, when people are being shot in multiple incidents, as you brought up, every day. You know, we, you were talking about that. We, the, the, another incident the day of the San Bernardino shooting, which was the one was in Savannah, Georgia, where mm-hmm. four people were shot. Another mass shooting has not. I don't even know if it's been reported on nationally. But that was well, we right on the same. That, that was on the same day. We mentioned it on this show that actually what happened in San Bernardino was the second mass killing of that day. That's right. We couldn't even get to the other one, and we couldn't even talk about it because yep. it was in between two other mass shootings. We were still talking about Colorado, and then when San Bernardino happened, we moved right to that. You mentioned that case in Mississippi. I've been talking about that, too. Mm-hmm. There's another one that happened during that time that was as outrageous as the one in Mississippi in San Antonio, where a man parked, I think, accidentally in front of his neighbor's uh, house, and his neighbor came out and shot him in the head. I mean, these are the kinds of things that, that, that are happening that aren't supposed to happen in a society like ours and just proves how out of whack things have gotten. I mean, if, you're, if you have to be a waitress uh, or if you are a waitress and you have to be scared 
to actually mm-hmm. ask one of your customers to stop smoking, if you have to be nervous about going to movie theaters or getting in just in arguments with people, which we all do with random people in life, I mean, what kind of society is that? That's a sick society. And, and I think most people realize it, but, you know, we saw another vote uh, the other day on what the terror gap, which we, I can explain if we want to go into more detail, and yeah. the, the private sales loophole. Mm-hmm. Again, same people, the only Republican to vote to, in favor of restricting any gun access in both cases was Senator Mark Kirk of Illinois. A few others voted for closing the background check loophole or private sales loophole, we should call it, because it's also Internet sales and others. You know, John McCain did, ironically. I wrote a book mm-hmm. on that guy, as you said. Yeah. Uh, Susan Collins uh, voted also uh, in the right on that, and so did uh, uh, Toomey from Pennsylvania. But, I mean, you can only get four Republicans to vote for something to literally check people before they buy a weapon that kills as quickly as that man killed the waitress in Mississippi. You, you, you can only get four Republicans to vote to just see who these people are who are buying these guns. Well, it's and, insane. And let's, uh, I'll go even farther here, uh, Cliff. They're not even voting on those things. I think they're voting whether they're going to even have a debate on those things. And this is something that's driven me crazy. Listen, if, if our country, if the people of our country, if they want guns, if they want more guns, if they want more, more guns, more powerful guns, if they want everyone, uh, every man, woman, and child to have an assault weapon in their hands um fine if that's the kind of country that we want so be it but what we're getting is we've got one thing as you mentioned you know from the populace from even the you know the the republicans even nra members who want one thing and then something completely different from our elected uh, officials who aren't even allowed to hold the debate and actually, uh, you know, have a vote on the issue. They're voting on, you know, whether to debate, whether we can move forward and have a debate, uh, thanks to the filibuster. So we don't even actually have the debate. Uh, That's a great point to make. And I just, you know, I hope, I mean, you know, I'd be lying if I said I ever have faith in Democrats to run a campaign in the manner in which it should be run. But... I I really hope that some of these people that are in swing states and districts like Rob Portman here in Ohio, where I will certainly do all I can to hold him accountable, pay a price for this because we're not talking here now about stuff as as we've said that we're you know sixty forty or whatever. We're talking about eighty percent of his party. It's ridiculous. They should be made to, and and that any of these people even thinks they can run a campaign for calling anybody soft on terrorism when this is the softest. Basically, they have sat there and said we have two interests. One protecting the American people quite clearly, which these two measures would do, or that of the NRA that's giving us money. We're going to go with the NRA. Mm -hmm. I don't think it gets any weaker on terrorism than that. They are trading in people's safety here for NRA money and NRA support. That's sad, and that's pathetic. And But and, th- that's what they do, and that is what is become of our democracy. As you, I think, rightly point out, Cliff Schechter, it's not a democracy anymore. When you've got you know such a huge gap between the elected officials and uh, you know the people they're supposed to be representing, and and by the way, Cliff, just to be clear, uh, since I think we have to at these uh, at, at this point in this country, you said that uh, Senator Rob Portman should pay a price for what he's doing. You mean pay a price at the ballot box? Electorally, uh, correct. Yes, and I think you're right. I do. You do have to make that clear yep. because the other problem we have in this country, and we can debate that and figure it out, whatever. And, we, and you and I can, I'm sure, talk. Uh, hopefully, have an intelligent conversation. Go back and look at when we got rid of the fairness rules, and, and sadly, you know, we have to blame a, a Democrat largely in President Bill Clinton for the Telecommunications Act mm-hmm. of '96 that allowed these huge corporations, you know, to the point where we don't have the diversity that we had. Um, and, and what has happened, because 
you know, we've got people inciting riot on the radio and on TV. Mm -hmm. And when you sit there and you do say the kinds of things, I'm also, by the way, happily a board member of Planned Parenthood of Ohio. Mm -hmm. And when you sit there and you accuse people of, of, of selling baby parts and the kinds of things that yep. Carly Fiorina, for one example, Ted Cruz, Rick Santorum, Mike Huckabee are four examples that come on that just make things up wholesale that they've seen happen and whatever. And, and these are things that are not, it's not like making up things. Listen, politicians make things up. These are making up things that are, are directly meant to appeal to the worst instincts of their most unhinged followers yep. and encourage them. To, to, to commit acts like this. There, there's a term for it, stochastic terrorism. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever had Valerie Tarico on before, who's very involved in progressive mm-hmm. politics up in in uh, Seattle and Washington State overall, and she's written a lot about this. You don't have to tell someone to do something. You can tell them over, over the airways, over mass communications, what's going on. And it really is just a wink in the end, because statistically, we can't predict who's going to do something, yeah. but you can actually look at statistics and predict somebody will at some point. Well, that's right. And we talked a little bit about that, actually, in, in the, the previous segment today on this show about... Uh, you know, the, the well, the, the speech, what we're doing now, what we were doing uh, before, uh, you know, with Donald Trump talking about Muslims today, he's talking about how we have to, you know, stop anyone who's Muslim from coming into the country, period. All of this stuff has an effect, uh, you know, You're dehumanizing people it, it ad- absolutely does. And one of the victims in San Bernardino, by the way, was doing that was very much repeating Donald Trump's rhetoric uh, against Muslims and so forth. And, you know, as we're looking for what happened in San Bernardino, uh, you know, you got to ask, was was that part of the issue? This was one of the uh, this guy's uh, co-workers right. who was uh, tweeting this stuff. So, yeah, it does have an effect. Uh, Cliff, I- I've been calling. And I and I want to get to because you mentioned the right to own guns and I want to find out where that line is for you. And we've got some news from the Supreme Court today. So I want to get to that in a second. But before I do, I have been calling the NRA uh, and Wayne LaPierre and so forth a terrorist supporting organization for a very long time. And you mentioned the terror gap that they voted to not close Last week, Um, you know, Republicans say they're keeping us safe from terrorists in one breath, but they're allowing people on the terrorist watch list to buy all the guns they want. Uh, You know, last week we had uh, Colleen Rowley, uh, the FBI veteran and whistleblower, Uh 2002 person of the year. She pointed out that if you in the visa waiver program, which brings, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to this country with very little background check. You're even allowed to go, never mind the Syrian refugees, you come in on the visa waiver program, you're allowed to go to a gun store, even though you're only here for 90 days, you can go to the gun store and buy an assault rifle. Right. That's insane. I mean, that's insanity. And, and, it's, it's, and that's it's why I've been calling these people, uh, you know, t- terrorist-supporting, NRA terrorist-supporting organizations. The New York Daily I, News did it the other day. Do you yep. agree with that assessment? Oh, I, I, I not only agree with it, I think once one of the last times you and I spoke, I think we both were, were agreed on that point that we were calling them that. I've called them that. You can find them in numerous pieces I've written in various places. I mean, they, they are inarguably the, the, if you don't want to call them straight-out terrorists, which I would, mm-hmm. they're the political wing of a domestic of various domestic terrorist organizations, of white supremacist organizations, of militias, and all these other groups, quite clearly. And the connections can be made from, you know, from you know, Timothy McVeigh, 
Bombay, having some of their publications in his car, and being a guy that sold guns at gun shows, which they made sure he had the right to do, and these kinds of things, to various others. We have cases of, of Middle Eastern terrorists who are here, members of Hamas and other groups buying guns here to send abroad in Michigan. Some of them were, were busted. Heck, even the, you want to go further back in time, the IRA. I mean, they have made sure, and then we need to then we get into all the domestic terrorists. I mean, you know, they, they have made sure to block um, any kind of, of measures that will let us look at the people who are buying weapons. I mean, the terror gap is an important thing, but also background checks, because even if you, if you close the terror gap and say, okay, as part of uh, the, the, the background check system, we're going to flag people who are on the terrorist uh, watch list, well, we don't conduct those, those uh, background checks all the time in 32 of the 50 states. So really, both of those measures are allowing all sorts of people that should never have access to guns, and many of whom have attacked this country, have attacked others. I, I think right away, again, I'll say another example quickly of John Patrick Bedell, who was rejected trying to buy a gun in your home state of California because of his issues. He'd been writing you know, about attack. He had, a, he had uh, criminal justice issues in the past, but he'd been writing about, it, about attacking this government, and the government was following him around and the rest. So he went across the border to Nevada, mm-hmm. bought a gun at a gun show, because they don't have universal background checks right. there, and then showed up at the Pentagon and started shooting people. I mean, this is what you have. It, it, it's insane. And so I would say to you, you know, I, you're exactly right in calling them that, and I call them that constantly, too. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Cliff Schechter. We're speaking with Cliff Schechter, uh, daily uh, columnist for The Daily Beast, author of 2008 bestseller The Real McCain. Cliff, uh, you mentioned the right to own guns. I know you recognize that right in the, uh, in the Constitution, but let's talk about how far that should or shouldn't go. The New York Times says it is not necessary to debate the peculiar wording of the Second Amendment. No right is unlimited and immune from reasonable regulation. And they go on to say certain kinds of weapons, like the slightly modified combat rifles used in the California shooting and and certain kinds of ammunition, must be outlawed for civilian ownership. They say... Uh, which which I'm cool with. I'm all right with that, I- yep. if that's what we decide. But then they go on to say, it is possible to define those guns in a clear and effective way, and yes, it would require Americans who's, who own those kinds of weapons to give them up for the good of their fellow citizens. Well, that really is gun-grabbing, uh, Cliff Schechter. I'm not so sure I'm, uh, I'm comfortable with that, with the idea of the government deciding... It's one thing to, you know, background checks before they buy, maybe restricting what actually gets sold. But are you comfortable with the uh, the government literally saying that some people have to give up their weapons? That's a lot more difficult um, for me. Um you know, and and so I, I I'm I'm not trying to evade or whatever. I would have to really think about that in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, I and let me be clear. I separate what I think is constitutionally. Uh, what what's meant in the Constitution uh, versus what I personally believe, which I would allow in, in excess of what the Constitution allows. Not by a huge amount, but I would. So my view of the Constitution, and I come at this from somebody who is a historian, although, uh, you know, I, I still have... I'm still harassed by family members for never writing that dissertation. So I did my PhD work, <laughs> but I don't have the little, the nice little letters next to my right. name. So I don't want to pretend. I don't want to to, to be like uh, Ben Carson here and portraying myself <laughs> as something I'm not. So okay. let's just say 
I've done a lot of the work, but right. didn't get there quite. Someday, maybe. That's so right. in any case, you study enough history, and you understand what bearing arms meant in that time. I mean, Scalia claims to be an originalist, and he wants to go what, what their intent was back then. Well, bearing arms meant going to war. It didn't mean protecting your home. It really didn't. It, not, it didn't mean hunting. It meant going to war. We had no standing army. Each of the states were suspicious of the other ones, and the, the intent of that and the purpose of that, that measure was to say the federal government cannot tell the individual states that you cannot have able-bodied men, and white men, of course, is what they're talking about then, if we want to really get specific, mm-hmm. to be able to, to raise up the kinds of arms to fight for their home state. So if you, want to, if you believe in original intent, that was what was meant, and if you think that changing times shouldn't change that, then, then able-bodied men have to have the right to get to weapons um, that, that, are, that can help us fight. And, you know, that, made it, that might include assault weapons. I mean, you have to, you have to look at that. that, that at least there, there's something that's debatable there. Whereas, um, you know, the, the current interpretation that this is an individual right is the kind of thing that justices, including former uh, Justice Chief Justice Berger, who was a conservative, called the, great, you know, the greatest hoax perpetrated on people in this country ever. It, numerous people laughed it out of court, even conservatives. It was invented at the Federalist Society. It was pushed forward by right-wing justices. It was defeated time and time again. And it only passed with a five-to-four majority when it finally did pass. So... You know, it's ahistorical. It's like if you look back in the early 20th century when we banned uh, minimum wage and things like that, and eventually that was overthrown, okay, because they said that this doesn't fit with our Constitution. I'm quite confident that unless we elect crazy right-wingers from now on, that 5-4 to four decision will be reversed. Well, we, but, we, we may elect those crazy right-wingers, and in fact, in this next pre- uh, presidential election— uh, there could be as many as four Supreme Court justices coming up, uh, four, four Supreme Court justices, uh, uh, seats being vacated and appointed by whoever is the next president. That is correct. There's four of them approaching yeah. 80. So people need, and one, two of them are Scalia and Kennedy. Mm-hmm. That would affect a lot of things that are going on. Um, so that's a, so you know that, that to me is the constitutional part of it. Now the part of it where I, what my personal belief is is that even though the Constitution doesn't provide for let's say your right to have a handgun to protect yourself in your home, I would support that. But you know, but I but I, there have to be numerous regulations as far as I'm concerned before you get to that point. You need to have mental health checks. You need to have uh, background checks about what you've what kind of if you've committed crimes in the past and, and things of that sort. There needs to be what California now has after the terrible massacre, you know, at San, in Santa Barbara, which is a gun violence restraining order, where if your family members or other people, you know, teachers police, others, notice you acting in a way that they think you would be a danger to yourself or others. You can have your gun taken away for a few days. You have the right to go to a judge. You get due process to try to get that gun back. But that the balance is put in there of our right to be alive versus your... And if we'd had that, if that had been, you know, if that kind of thing had been enacted in, let's say, Colorado before the shooting in Aurora mm-hmm. or in Arizona before the shooting in Tucson, those might not have happened because plenty of people in positions of authority and family members noticed that these two people were out of their minds and they had weaponry. So that's... So, you know, I, they want to try to call me a gun grabber, as they do, and then, of course, you know, that I hate all guns. As I said, I shot them competitively. I'm all for people having certain rights, and again, even having a right that I don't think is in the Constitution, uh, necessarily, but should be allowed, which is to protect your home. But there need to be all, you know, I would say the way Canada does it is a very good way of doing it. They have found a balance. Canada is not England, it's not Japan, it's not places that basically outlaw all guns, but it's a place that puts the onus on you, where you have to prove 
that you are of sound mind, that you have to prove that uh, you know how to use the weapon. There's a lot of training involved, which there should be. You have to prove that you don't have a criminal background and these kinds of things, and you can have that gun taken away if family members and others see you acting in a way. That, to me, is very much, that all has to be very much of the process. And you're... Not to mention, I'll just say quickly, I don't know if yeah. I'm running out of time, and I apologize, okay. but smart gun technology, which is out there, mm-hmm. why would we not bring a technology forward that says kids can't actually, you can't pick up your gun accidentally and shoot themselves. People can't grab your gun away from you and shoot you. Only The, the only reason we don't have that is the NRA. I mean, right. the smart gun technology that says only you, with your fingerprints, can shoot your gun makes complete sense. And you add all these measures in that I've just said, you'd cut down on so many of these, then I think maybe we get to a much more reasonable place where we can find that balance. We have uh, kid-proof uh, lighters, c- cigarette lighters, but we can't uh, require kid-proof guns. It's just amazing. Uh, I'm speaking, of course, with gun grabber, tyrant, and constitution <laughs> hater Cliff Schechter. I know you do. Uh, it, it, some some good news, I think, because uh, you highlighted a lot of things that are that are uh, rather dispiriting. Because it seems like the things you're talking about they're common sense, but we can't move them forward at least not on the federal level, but on the local level, and in some cases the state level, uh, there is some good news. And uh, today uh, the Supreme Court refused to hear a Second Amendment challenge to an Illinois ordinance that banned semi-automatic assault uh, weapons and large-capacity magazines. Uh, They gave no reason for turning down this appeal. This is the case is Friedman versus City of Highland Park. No relation. Not my fault. Don't blame me. Uh, But uh, Clarence, of course, Justice Clarence Thomas and Antonin Scalia dissented naturally. But the ordinance, uh, this is a 2013 law that banned some weapons by name, including AR-15s and AK-47s. It prohibited possession of what it called assault weapons, defining them as semi-automatic guns that can accept large-capacity magazines and have features like a grip for the non-trigger hand. Large-capacity magazines, the ordinance said, are those that can accept more than 10 rounds. Well, that was passed by the city of Highland Park in Illinois. The Supreme Court has declined to hear the challenge to that law, so it will stand. Uh, is that good news, even with this right-wing Supreme Court? Oh, I think that's great news, and that's, you know, and that's what's so frustrating, too. Remember, there's no principle that Republicans can't throw overboard uh, when it suddenly becomes inconvenient. And these are people that, of course, love the states and love localities, being able to do whatever they want until they start doing what they don't want. So what Highland Park has done is what a lot of places should be able to do and has happened in certain other areas, like in Travis County, which includes Austin and Texas, or I think it's Billings, but there definitely is an area in Montana. Cleveland, for example, here in, in Ohio did it. But what you have in these states that are controlled by right-wingers is they preempt, they pass laws in the state legislature, the governor signs it, to preempt local uh, legi- local action on guns and say, you can't go past what we do. So if the state right. doesn't allow background checks, you local place cannot do that. Or and so luckily Illinois is controlled, has been controlled largely either by Democrats or at least Republicans that must be more moderate for their survival in that state. And so localities can go further than the state government. That's the way it should be everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously cities are a different, you know, in suburbs are a different beast in the exurbs and rural areas. And there's certain things that are much more necessary there. So I think it's good news. And I think, yeah, I mean, because look, overall, I would, I would agree with an assault weapons ban. And I would say that you look at the, you know, you can't have, you know, citizens walking down the street with weapons of war. If you want to look at the interpretation and say that, okay, we want to look at original intent, even though I think society has changed 
I don't just think it, it has changed dramatically, then I still think you, you need to have some sort of storage laws if you're going to have assault weapons somewhere that, that able-bodied people can rise up against, you know, when, when inevitably the, the uh, you know, North Koreans or Russians uh, parachute in here and Red Dawn happens, which I'm sure is around the corner. <laughs> Any moment. Uh, yeah. You know, then there needs to be a place, an armory of some sort. You just can't have these things around people's houses, and you can't have them unsecured. And I, I, so, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I'm just saying that I, I still, yes, I very strongly believe that uh, an assault weapons ban, except for in very specific cases where people have proven themselves well, well beyond a reasonable doubt and have extensive training and generally are in the security business. Otherwise, I would say, you know, it's just, you've seen what these things can do, or maybe you haven't because we haven't shown pictures of what, mm-hmm. tw- you know, the, the 20 little kids looked like in mm-hmm. Newtown, which some of the parents wanted to show. I mean, they would make people sick to their well, stomach I what will these s- weapons do to people. They, uh, in this case, uh, the, the one that the Supreme Court decided to not hear, uh, you had in the lower court, uh, in the Seventh Circuit, and I'm going to take this as good news as well, Judge Frank Easterbrook, who I am no fan of. Uh, In fact, uh, I think he's horrible, a horrible right winger. He has what he's done for photo ID restrictions and voting is just uh, an embarrassment to the court. That said, he wrote in his decision uh, supporting the ban uh, in uh, Highland Park, Illinois. He said a ban on assault weapons and large capacity magazines might not prevent shootings in Highland Park where they are already rare, but it may reduce the carnage. If a yeah, mass well, shooting occurs, he know, went on to say that. If, I'm sorry, that, No, that's okay. He, he went on to say that uh, if a ban on semi-automatic guns and large capacity magazines reduces the perceived risk from a mass shooting and makes people feel safer as a result, that's also a substantial benefit. Yeah, I can't tell you. Then that's what I'm trying to get. You know, what beyond even the polling mm-hmm. to let people understand how right wing this notion of an individual right is. I mean, it, it would be as if we let the craziest ten percent of people out there when it came to cars make our laws and say let's get rid of all speed limits in the city you know let's do let's you know you can turn left right whatever whenever you feel like it forget having a stop sign yeah. or forget having a light telling you you can't i mean that's the equivalent of this because you do have i can't tell you how many george w bush appointees or reagan appointees yep. i mean conservatives have disagreed with the Supreme Court on an individual right and have kept some of these regulations in place because they've said it's insane. And you only have five, again, even of the nine on the Supreme Court who've said this. So again, don't for people who think, oh, this is a so, you know, this is a done deal and this has been decided, it really hasn't. It, you've got you've got some people in power now, and they still haven't only managed to get barely over half of the power who are who are who are willing to make decisions again, like the like the campaign finance decisions they've made, like the voting rights decisions they've made, and others that are all five four decisions, yeah. and all are you know you, they don't even try like they used to. Brown versus Board, where Chief Justice Warren determined there had to be uh, a unanimous decision because otherwise the nation would be split. Or in Roe versus Wade, where it was a seven two, if I remember correctly, where they wanted the overwhelming majority so that people could understand that this big change they were making was. Supported Strongly well, on, the, on all these cases, they don't care if they're five-four decisions that are overturning, you know, a hundred years of jurisprudence. On well, when they've lost, uh, when they when you lose Frank Easterbrook uh, in the courts, uh, I got to take that as as exactly. good news that even he doesn't go along with that. Uh, Cliff, I got to get out, so but I want to ask you one question that it, maybe you can answer in just one word. Uh, you wrote the book on uh, on on John McCain, the real McCain, back in two thousand and eight yep. when he was running for president, and actually at the time you wrote it, 
uh, it, it, it looked like John McCain was in trouble. It looked like he was not going to win that nomination and all of your hard work and toil to write a book about uh, the nominee was going to be for naught. Uh, with that said, and then, of course, it, it, it got a lot of attention because he did get the nomination. So with that said, Cliff, I don't know if you're working, working on a book for 2016, but if someone else is, uh, who should they be writing about at this point who may not be winning but who's going to get the nomination? I would call it, I would say people should be getting ready, someone should be getting ready to write the real Ted Cruz. Okay. That's scary, but thank you, uh, Cliff. Cliff Schechter, I appreciate that and your prediction and everything else you do. Check out his work at cliffschechter.com. Follow, follow him on Twitter if you can stand it, at Cliff Schechter. Uh, and otherwise, uh, follow uh, read his work over at The Daily Beast. We didn't even get into those columns today, but I hope we will in the future. Cliff, always great talking to you, my friend. Thanks. Hey, my pleasure, too. Thanks for having me on, buddy. You bet. Okay, a quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast and some good news. Let's end on a positive note, shall we? Stay tuned. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Welcome back to your broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A little sweet George Brown for you, not because we're talking about the Harlem Globetrotters, or Harlem Globetrotters, though that would be good news. I always enjoy talking about them, but we will be talking about Georgia in one moment. That good news coming up in a moment right after this. Uh, I don't know. What do we call this? Good or bad news? Take your pick. Donald Trump now stands alone at the top of the national polls. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, CNN uh, ORC poll of registered Republicans and Republican-leaning voters uh, gives him now 36% support. Uh, his closest opponent is 20 points lower, according to this poll. That uh, uh, closest opponent would be Ted Cruz, who Cliff Schechter had mentioned, uh, that he is now polling at 16%. Compared to Donald Trump's 36 percent, he has jumped 12 points. Ted Cruz has Uh, Ben Carson is is plummeting, but he's not out yet. He's uh, an eight point decline since the last poll. He's at 14 percent. And Senator Marco Rubio is at 12 percent. Everyone else is single digits. Everyone else for the moment is also Rand's, according to these uh, according to the CNN ORC national poll. But of course, we don't have national elections. We have uh, state-by-state elections. We have an electoral college. And as far as the first state in the, uh, in the union to vote in their caucuses in Iowa, Ted Cruz now tops Donald Trump. Uh, 24% for, to Ted Cruz gives him a five-point lead over Donald Trump in the state of Iowa amongst Republicans. Uh, not all of the polls are saying that. There's also a new CNN ORC poll that shows Trump with 33 in Iowa to uh, Cruz's uh, 20%, although he's, like I say, he's on the rise there, uh, Ted Cruz. He has doubled uh, his his total in Iowa from the last poll. So maybe Cliff Schechter is right about that. Good or bad news? I don't know. You take your pick on on any of that. Here's the good news uh, that takes us back to Georgia. Former President Jimmy Carter, who has been undergoing treatment for cancer that was removed from his liver but had spread to his brain, said on Sunday that he was free of the disease. 
according to AP. Uh, the Carter Center said in a statement, uh, quote, my most recent MRI brain scan did not reveal any signs of the original cancer spots nor any new ones. Mr. Carter, who is 91, has been undergoing treatment for metastatic melanoma since August. He said he will continue receiving regular immunotherapy treatments using the drug, oh boy, pembrolizumab. <laughs> Can you say that any better, Desi? No, I can't. I'm Pem- not going to even try. Pembrolizumab. I don't know. That's what it's called. Uh, in August, uh, doctors had discovered he had cancer. Uh, well, actually, in early summer, uh, he underwent elective surgery on August 3 to remove a small mass from his liver. The procedure revealed that the cancer had spread to other parts of his body. Doctors found four small lesions on his brain. Seemed grim news at the time, but we have some good news today. AP goes on to say, while it was too soon to declare the former president cured, uh, Dr. Shepard, this is one of his, uh, his doctors, said that Mr. Carter's progress added momentum to the push to use more aggressive cancer treatments in older patients and to increase their accessibility to patients. Now, that's a good idea. Increase their accessibility to patients? Yeah, that's good. If you can afford it, the use of cutting-edge multidisciplinary approaches, although expensive, is crucial to fighting cancers that typically do not respond to traditional treatments. According to Dr. Shepard, uh, he said, This is someone who, without the treatment, would not have had nearly as much likelihood to have had a positive outcome. The former president's case demonstrated, quote, exactly what these therapies can do when given appropriately and would shine a lot on the fact that these aren't just really expensive drugs, they really do work. Well, apparently, at least in the case of Jimmy Carter, and at least in the case of uh, those people who can afford it, those people who are allowed to have medical coverage, as is not the uh, the case in too many states in our union right now, thanks to the Republicans uh, refusing to allow uh, the... uh, expansion of Medicare in uh, and Medicaid in so many states. So uh, if you're the president, former president of the United States and you get this uh, cancer, well, you're in luck. If you're not, well, hopefully the odds are more and more with you as we move forward. But in any case, good news for uh, former president Jimmy Carter there. And it's so rare we get to end this show on a good note at all. I'll get out while the getting's good. My thanks to Desi Doy and our producer, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Kona, and, of course, to Click Cliff Schechter. Check out his work at cliffschechter.com. All right, we will be back with you soon. Until then, if you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it at bradblog.com. You can email me. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And, of course, you can follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad blog. That's it. Until next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.